Welcome to the Hayes Salespeople Podcast, where we talk to the brightest minds in modern sales and get their tips and advice on all things sales. I'm your interim host, Jenna Sachs from SalesLoft. Hey, salespeople. Today, I want to welcome Nate Henry to the podcast. Hey, Nate. Hey, Jenna. How are you? I'm great. How are you? I'm doing wonderful. It's awesome to talk to you again. Nate is the VP of Channel Resellers at BirdEye, which is an all-in-one reputation and customer experience platform for local businesses and brands to manage their digital presence. So, Nate, we generally like to start this off with an icebreaker of some sort. Um, you know, I'm seeing guitars on your end. Uh, I would love to hear about maybe a fun hobby you have, maybe something around music. I'm an avid musician. I uh, I still make complete projects, uh, full albums and, and EPs and singles. And um, it, I am embarrassed to say sometimes, but I love it. Hip hop is the genre that I that I mostly spend my time with. Um, I've been making hip hop music for over 20 years, uh, but I am a classically trained tenor. Uh, I play the drums. I play guitar. I play lots of instruments, you know, decent enough to say that I play them. I'm not an expert at any of them. And it's kind of funny. We were talking a little bit before we started recording today. We've known each other for a few years, but I never knew, you know, how much of a musician you really were. So it's awesome to learn a new fact. When we used to work together uh, on, on my flights to New York, I would, I would bring drum machines on the airplane and um, it was funny to go through security with drum machines sometimes. And it was even more funny to be sitting next to people who didn't know what I was doing, playing with this little box that has all these buttons on it and dials. And, and they could see me like moving my head up and down to whatever it was I was doing. And I actually, during that time, I produced a, a lot of music because I spent a lot more time flying. And I spent a lot of time making music in the air. That's a very productive way to be in the air. I, I feel like I usually just put on a sappy romantic comedy or something mindless <laughs> and, and just drift off if I can. Um, yep. You're making me feel bad over here. Before Again, before we started the recording, we were talking a little bit about just creativity in general and, and how that goes into your work. Uh, you know, It sounds like you're always doing creative stuff outside of work. Would love to hear just your thought on how that impacts your day to day and what you look at when running a sales cycle or, you know, just doing anything strategic involving uh, your customers, your, you know, sales team, your business overall. Creativity is a very important part of what we do in sales. I think if you uh, pull people on LinkedIn or something like that, you, you know, a lot of salespeople maybe think it's 50% art and 50% science or whatever. Uh, I don't agree with that. Uh, I think it's probably more like 20% art and 80% science. Um, because most of the people I know who are really great in sales are really great in, in sales leadership. They're, if you sit down with them, they're, you learn that they're mathematicians in some way. They, they, they take something very complicated in the deal they're working and they figure out how to, you know, turn it into a formula and then break down each piece of that formula and, have a very pragmatic approach at how to address each part of that formula. I think that uh, I feel very confident, at least from my perspective, it's, it's a lot more science or a lot more math than it is, than it is uh, art. And uh, I, I do my absolute best to apply that uh, to what I do in my day to day and through uh, just keeping the team 
the team's focused on it's, you know, it may be an unromantic part of sales or whatever, but figuring out how can you on every deal that you're working right now, how can you make sure that you're moving the deal, you know, one inch forward every single day. And, uh, I spend a lot of time on that. Um, I do daily meetings, uh, with our managers and the individual contributors as a large group. And we go through the, the deals every single day and we spend like maybe 30 to 90 seconds on each of the largest deals. So we can normally get through a lot of deals in a, in a, you know, 15 to 30 minute window. I try not to, I don't do it for more than 30 minutes a day. It's normally 15 minutes, but, um, I, I make it a point to, you know, challenge our team to think about, you know, while you're waiting on this deal for the next meeting to happen, what else could you get done? And what, even if it's just internally, who could you prep for it? Um, what resources could you pull together? Uh, you know, what cross-functional teams aren't involved today that, you know, could or should be involved? You know, you know, do we, do we have champions? Do we have relationships above the champions? I mean, we re- really try to break that down a lot. Yeah. It sounds like you're really challenging the team. It's not just, hey, what can I help with today? And I think we've all been on those long pipeline calls where, uh, you know, it's really just a review in painful detail of here's the next steps, here's what's happening. And it's like, nothing's going to happen today with this deal. And to your point, if you're moving it one inch, inch a day, then you're doing something every day. Even if you're not contacting that customer every day, you're at least making some kind of effort or, you know, step towards what you actually want to accomplish as the outcome. So that's, really interesting to hear again, because I think so many people do two hour pipeline reviews and maybe don't get action items exactly out of it the same way that you're getting. I mean, I've tried that before too. And Jenna, you and I have been on some pipeline calls together. So, uh, you know, it's been many years, but I do remember, them. Uh, you know, I've tried lots, lots of different things. I know when I was an individual contributor on the long calls, if I didn't have much, I just, I was going to kick it the whole call. I wouldn't find a lot of value in sitting on a call for two hours, uh, unless I was just really, really, really engaged. How do you find that your sales teams react to this news? And where do you see the most progress when you're having these kind of calls? I don't know how they react to it because, um, and you know, from a salesperson's perspective, I'm their boss's boss. So I think if they really didn't like it, they might not tell me. <laughs> um, but the results that I see are, uh, and, and that we earn together with those individual contributors are impactful. And I, I, this is a, it's a scrappy way of looking at sales. You know, we have a lot of mutual friends, uh, Jenna from back in the day. And I, some of them, I, I've been telling them for a long time. I think, I feel like sales is a very blue collar job. It's a, uh, it is not a white collar job. You can't just, you know, sit and present all day long and, you know, tell a beautiful story or whatever you, you get. There's a lot that, that, uh, needs to come out of it. And so I think that what I see in the numbers is that the closer, the closer scrutiny, the more even day-to-day scrutiny where we can have it, the the more scrappy we end up being and uh, the better results we end up having. And, and the, the, we have a lot higher propensity to take deals that look like they're going to close in, you know, 30 days from now or 60 days from now and pull them forward in a, in a natural way without having to create fake deadlines. Like, sign this by this day and you're going to get a super special price or whatever. Um, so th- that's really helpful. And 
I'm not, uh, I'm, when I say the blue collar thing, it's, I'm kind of joking, but I'm, I'm really not. I'm, I don't have a degree. I, I didn't go to a fancy school. I don't, I don't, there's a lot more intelligent people than me out there. Um, but I do know for a fact that being scrappy and taking this approach, it does get results. And so I, I trust it and I just, I keep doing it. And most of the team, uh, they, they reap the benefits of pulling deals in earlier and, you know, getting higher percentage of goal, um, being accurate in their forecasting a little bit more because salespeople almost always forecast, uh, you know, they, they over forecast, they, you know, they're a little heavy handed on it. It's either over forecasting or completely sandbagging yeah. it. Yes. Yeah, so a lot of times <laughs> it's extreme. What the, the challenge I work through a lot seems to be right now in this phase of my life and has been for the last few years, it's, it's over forecasting, uh, you know, big picture. If I like roll up all the individual contributors forecasting, uh, you know, it's a lot of times it's, you know, 70, 80, 90%. Um, if I don't watch it daily, it's like 70 or 80, 90% over forecasting. If I watch it daily, that number gets closer to like 25% over forecasting. It's a pretty big spread. Uh, which that's very easy. That's way easier to manage. Yeah, it is. Last month, it was a 26% over forecasting. Uh, and, and we had a daily scrutiny. It goes back to the science, right? There's science of every single step. I mean, I'm, I'm sure some percentage of that science, to your point earlier, is grit right? Like you're in the trenches, you're doing all the little pieces that are really getting there, moving that one inch a day. Um, so, so you do really have grit and science together as like the bulk of what's actually happening. And right, like the art is there. It's, it's, you know, no one can contest that, but it, if you're not doing the small things and you're not doing it, you know, even whether it's on an individual contributor level or as a leader forecasting, really understanding what's happening, trying to shrink that gap or that um, over forecasting amount um, by using math and science to really make it something that's you're comfortable reporting out and um, you know getting more and more on point and tight with that forecast every single day, I think, you know, is a huge part of any sales job. Well, you were 100% right. And I've absolutely missed my forecasts way too many times. Uh, and it's always very painful on my ego. Uh, everybody does it. And what I think a, a good benefit of it um, outside of ACV is you, you, you get trust from your salespeople and they get more willing to be open with you about what you're working on. Because part of day-to-day scrutiny on a deal means that I have to be on a lot of customer facing calls, right? I don't have to, but I better be if I'm going to, you know, if, if we're going to try to progress calls, then we need it in addition to, you know, progressing even farther in the deal, we need to progress working up higher through their organization. And I need to be willing to support them. And so does their manager, you know, so we even do things, uh, Jenna, like I track how many customer facing meetings me and, and my managers have every single day. As a leader, how do you know when the right time to be involved in a deal is? Cause I've seen it go either way, right? Sometimes it's like, let me know when you need help. And maybe the rep never lets you know. Yeah. And sometimes it's, I want to be on every single call and it comes off as very micromanagerial. So where do you find that balance when you're doing that? I don't know. I think this is a, this is a weakness of mine. I'm sure I, I would err towards being always being more active than less active. And that's probably more out of like self-preservation because it, if I miss a forecast to my boss, I better know 
we better have lost those deals that we did lose out on that we thought we were going to win. We better lost them as a team. And, and not only just me, that means even my boss, if it's a big enough deal, I need him on it. It sounds like knowing what's going on with the deal really is the the crux of all of that, right? You're knowing what's going on with the day to day. So it's a lot easier to be like, Hey, I'm going to join the next call or Hey, do you mind me joining the next call? I would tell him, put me on the next call, please. I was trying to be polite about it, but I need to be on those calls. You know, I don't need to be on every single call, but there's no sense in, you know, uh, being an armchair quarterback, if you will, right? And sitting there and just making up all these plans and not being willing to work. I think to your point, it builds the trust, right? Like you're in that, even if you might be in some cases saying, hey, put me on the next call, um, you're showing that you're adding value to it and you're helping them ultimately hit their goals. You know, I think the detriment of that is your sales reps can start relying on you way too much. They can say, oh, well, Nate's on the call or a, uh, you know, Zach's on the call or Nicole's on the call today. So I don't like, they're just going to run it. I just need to kick off the call and I'm going to turn it over to them and I'm going to do whatever it is I'm going to do. And, you know, so then we, we lose out on opportunities to, you know, really coach them up. You'd think every, uh, you know, account executive or account manager would do things like this, but they don't. It, it's, I find it's a rare percentage of them that are willing to like a- actively sit there and take notes of what's going on in the call and, you know, write down things that I might say that they want to steal from me and use it on another. I, I wish that, uh, I saw that on, out of every single individual contributor that I, that I work with. And I'm sure a lot of managers and, you know, or leaders feel the same way. Um, but, but, you know, I don't see it sometimes. And I think, think part of that is, is, uh, you know, my fault and our manager's fault or other leaders fault that get in and they're like, I'm going to brute force this thing over the line. I'm going to be real, real hands-on and I'm going to get it done. And so I've, I've a challenge I'm working through right now, uh, personally would be that like trying to find the right balance of Hey, you need to own this part. And, and I might surprise you with a question in the middle of this call. I, I really hope you're going to be ready for it. I've been there, right? I'm managing somebody and I talk a lot. <laughs> I don't shut up half the time. And I've had situations where I've managed someone who's so great and so amazing, but because I'm overbearing maybe in a meeting or because I'm very opinionated, I didn't necessarily give them the space to say, to show that they were incredible to other people. And I think that was, I mean, one of my first managerial experiences where I had to kind of take a step back and learn, you know, I'm going to be quiet or I'm not even going to attend this meeting. So when you're involved in deals, how do you generally go about giving individual contributors and your managers uh, feedback on these kind of things? Um, I try to take notes when I'm on the calls, uh, every call that I can, when they're, when the manager or the, you know, seller is speaking. And um, I try to give, written feedback like right after the call's over which also the written feedback might include like action items i need them to own and things like that as well i try to do uh, consistently as i say hey you know jenna i noticed that you did this thing here and you know i don't really understand uh, you know i don't understand or agree with the the, the way you did that um and how I would, how I've done it in the past differently. And this has worked for me. So maybe this will work for you. So I try to be very direct about this is where I would like to see the improvement. 
and then explain to them what the consequence, what I believe the consequence is uh, of that, you know, mistake or that oversight, or if they don't change that behavior or whatever, and then give them an example. I think the example is key, right? And especially, and the timing, right? You're giving clear, actionable feedback right after yep. a meeting happens. Um, cause you don't want to wait till the next one-on-one even, and then be like, Hey, and this meeting a week ago, you know, I noticed you did this. Um, even if you give an example, then it holds less weight. And I think it's, it is, you know, about caring, right? Like you're caring about their development there and saying, Hey, I'm telling you this now, this is where it could be better. And I think that's, you know, something many people try to practice. Yeah. I didn't invent that process by any means. It's classic, you know, coaching. And I think I'm sure HR teaches process like that too. Um, Like radical candor, you know, that kind of. Yeah. There you go. I'm sure there's lots of books about it. Um, I had an account executive one time on the enterprise team, uh, uh, on an enterprise team I used to be responsible for. And I told this, this seller, something seems off with you today. You, you said, um, uh, mm, uh, like all these, you know, stop gaps. You said them a whole bunch of times, like way more than I normally hear. It's, I gave him this feedback in real time right after call. And so his first reaction was, no, I didn't. No, I didn't do that. So I said, yeah, go, go check out the call recording and, and let me know what you think. Cause I think, I think that being aware of that, uh, that you're doing that, it, it's, it's creating some distance in the call and you're maybe losing some engagement. I think he was saying, you know, you know, this, you know, that, you know, as a, as a, you know, placeholder or whatever. So it was a good, it was a good um, moment to, you know, provide him uh, really timely feedback. He kind of kind of took it a little personally or got, got defensive a little bit, not in a horrible way, but you know, he's got an ego just like I do. We all do. Just have to call you out during telling that you said, you know, I heard myself do it. I, I heard myself <laughs> yeah. Do I think it. it's, it's, it's one of those things where verbal ticks are those types of things where you're just, I do it all the time. People probably hear this on me all the time. When I listen to myself on a podcast, when I listen to a call recording, it's something you don't realize when you're doing it until you do. And then you're consciously trying to do something about it. And I think that's with anything you do out of habit. That real-time feedback is good. And being able to be you know, respectful, but blunt, um, it's, it's really important. And I think actually that's weirdly, I mean, I've read the book Radical Candor, so that's why it came to mind. But it is one of those things where uh, I think it's actually one of the examples in the book, one of the first examples where it's, you know, the woman's writing about how she went into a meeting and thought it went great. And afterwards, the boss is like, you sounded stupid. And it wasn't it wasn't in a mean way. Right. It was like, how can we help coach you? Can we get voice coaching and you know some speak like now now that I'm saying it, I can't speak English right now. Um, but can we get some speech lessons for you to really work through this? Um, I'm here to help you. It's not, Hey, you sound stupid. Don't do it again. It's, Hey, just be conscious of this. I'm here to help. It's not an insult. Like, and we, we've kind of gone down the rabbit hole of managerial skills and coaching and um, all of that, uh, which weirdly also sounds like the, the art in a lot of ways um, as a leader, right? Like there's, yeah, there's a science of knowing your forecast. There's a science of knowing every single thing that's happened with every single deal as much as you possibly can. But a lot of the art and, and maybe with leadership, it's a little bit more art um, because you're not only managing your day-to-day, you're managing everyone else's. Um, 
How else do you think about art in sales? I think it plays an important role in like the the skills you're talking about, those personal skills, they require like I have children, so it kind of makes me think about my children a little bit. Like if I'm really, really tired, I'm not as good of a dad as I I want to be. Or as a husband, if I'm really, really tired after work, I'm not as I'm not as good of a husband as I probably want to be. You know, so I'm not as good of a listener. I don't have the patience, I don't have the energy. And and so and, and to be creative or to like excel on the art side of what it is you're doing at work. Uh, and to have like empathy and all that, it requires energy. This is one of the reasons I try to have a, as well, a good a possible work-life balance as I can. Because uh, if I'm really tired, I won't have the energy, then I can't make music for one, which I, I love making music. But uh, you know, I just don't have as much fun as I, as I could at work. I don't, I don't, I'm not as good of a version of myself as I'd like to be. And uh, the, the art side is, gets affected tremendously because the math side of sales, like I could just, I could make a little, you know, checklist and sit it by my desk and just make sure I ask all these questions that I know are imperative and I could probably do an okay job, but people want to buy from people they like and they trust. And, you know, if it's my first time meeting your organization, I better have a pretty compelling, um, thesis statement, if you will, on why I think it's interesting that, our two companies are meeting. It, it, it better not just be, oh, you seem like you want to buy something and I seem like I want to sell something. So let's talk. And and that requires that requires energy and creativity. And the people that are really, really good at it to me are some of the most creative professionals I've ever worked with. I mean, to your point, maybe 80% of your time is spent on all the meticulous activity within the sales process and each step and moving that inch by inch, like you said, but that 20% is where the personality comes through, where the energy comes through and where your creativity comes through. And and to your point, like if you don't have that within other aspects of your life, it won't funnel into the job the same way. Yeah. We, we are, we are challenged to be the salt. When we talk to other people, we're challenged to like be the seasoning, you know? So you, that, that art is where you, add the the seasoning to uh the conversation and make it make it stand out make it make it unique to me the art side of it's not about being cute or anything like that or having the the best story because that's not going to win a deal for you but it's about you know having charisma and building relationships and um it's it's a it's, it's a super important part of it and it makes it work way more fun it's one of the reasons. Yeah. And the problem solving <laughs> aspect, right? Like you're helping when you're selling to someone, you're helping solve their problems as much as your own problem of, you, you know, yeah. hitting quota. Exactly. <laughs> this is the, the creativity thing. One of the reasons I, I tell my team that if you're on a customer facing call, you have to have your video on you. It needs to be on. And I also don't like if they use the blur, the background, like if they need to cool, but Show some of your personality. I'm maybe my background is a little extreme and too much of my personality, but it's, you know, it's, it's, it's an opportunity to build rapport with somebody and, and loosen up a little bit. I think especially with everybody being home, right? I mean, not everyone is anymore, but since COVID with being home, you're, you're bringing your whole self to work while you might have work-life balance. It's not always a straight, like it's not always a clear cut between work and life. So, I mean, I think people are more and more understanding that we're all human and that it's not just this buttoned up sales process. And I think people like that better. I mean, I like it better when I'm being sold to. 
Yeah, I like it better. It's more comfortable. So Nate, as we wrap up, you know, I know that we've talked a lot about just being a general sales leader, right? And, and you mentioned that you have worked, you know, especially at BirdEye um, in enterprise sales and leading that team. You've been leading partnerships and specifically reseller partnerships for a while. Um, just, just curious for some final thoughts on how do you view the difference between both kinds of sales and and which one do you like better? My career started in direct sales uh, for selling to SMBs, uh, selling people in like yellow, like really, really small towns that had, you know, like a yellow page bold listing in Branson, Missouri. And I was trying to convince them like that they need a website. And they're like, why would I need a website? No one has websites. I used to have to try to convince people of that. It was a pretty fun job. Uh, and then, yeah, I've sold to partners. I've sold it to enterprises, like you said. So uh, they're, they're very similar. Uh, channel and and enterprise sales are very similar. Uh, I like channel way way better personally. It fits my uh, it fits my uh, personality better. I think um, I, I do find that on enterprise sales, the people that I've sold to at least most of the time or more often than not, they would be very very guarded and calculated, and like you you don't get as much transparency from them on the problems they're going through and why it's interesting to them that they're talking to a company like mine right now. Um, I feel like their, their decision is very consequential. And, you know, if the CMO or someone who reports into the CMO makes a choice on a marketing software and it doesn't go the way they were planning, they might get, you know, ax, they might be done for, and they might get fired over it. Um, and, and on the channel side, I always find, or almost always find, that people are way more, uh, just more blunt about what they're working through and the problems they have when they work with vendors and and marketing technology, and and they're getting way, way into the weeds in the wholesale side of the business, and they're they're a lot of times becoming more expert in the software they're purchasing than some of the employees that work for that software company because they're so far into the weeds. They've built all these automations and integrations. And so you end up getting a lot of transparency from them. Uh, I find that you a lot of times know where you stand more. Uh, you know, As a salesperson, you get less surprises. Um, so yeah, I think that's... that's my, my heart is in, in channel sales for sure. Yeah, I think it's it's not for everybody. Not yeah. not at all. A lot of people don't understand channel sales, and maybe that's a topic for another day. Yeah. Um, but it, it is one of those things where I think you're not only helping them solve their problems, right? Whereas an enterprise sale, you're going into something that they might be more guarded because they're skeptical about you. They're not really sure how you're going to help them with their specific problem that your software solves, um, and you have to really educate. Whereas someone on the channel side, especially a reseller motion they're selling your product to their customers. So they really want to understand everything. It's a little bit more of that dialogue. And you're helping them ultimately, even when you expand a deal, you're helping them grow and helping them enable their customers to be the best by you know, leading by example with your initial sale to them. So it is a really interesting take on things. And I, I think if you haven't been in channel sales, you really don't understand it a lot of the time. But um, it, it's an extra layer. You're not only selling, you're enabling. I think another great hot topic for that future conversation is which one is more difficult channel or, or uh, direct. I, <laughs> I mess with people all the time about that one. So they definitely have their unique challenges. 
Thank you so much for being here. Um, if somebody wanted to get in touch with you, whether it's about sales or bird eye, or maybe they want to hear your music because I know I do, um, <laughs> what would be the best way for them to reach out? They could text me. I'll I'll give them. I'll give you my cell phone number. They could text me. You gonna put your cell phone number on a podcast? <laughs> yeah, I'm not that famous, so it's not like most I'm people say like this. Yeah, no, I'll, my cell phone number six eight two four three eight four three five four. And uh, yeah, you could try it through LinkedIn, and that's cool too. My my email at BirdEye. I'm sure there's lots of ways to get a hold of me. But gotta let me know if you ever uh, get a text from this. I think that's the first. Um, but yeah, thank you so much again for being here. It was great catching up. Um, and again, looking forward to hearing some of your music. Yeah, it's my pleasure. Talk to you soon, Jenna. I'm your host, Jenna Sachs. This podcast is available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever podcasts are found. Thanks for listening to the Hey Sales People podcast.